appreciate um, Gary's lesson and of course as is our habit what we do is we try to follow up with a class that's um, complimentary or uh, follows through with the theme of the previous hour and so when I got his outline it said you know it's talking about uh, the first sin and uh, when you begin to read that story you pretty quickly find out you know about these lasting consequences so this is titled lasting consequences far-reaching effects and thought we'd have a discussion of um sin and what it means um you know i i've noticed that uh, even in what we would call the religious world today that um there's a you know pretty um mm, almost a uncaring attitude towards sin it's like um oh it doesn't matter um you know it's just natural it's normal uh you kind of hear oh boys will be boys and all those kind of things and um seem like we just don't take it serious enough and you know one of the things i think often we think about is that well my choices affect just me and you know that's as far as it goes so you know if i mess myself up you know who else really cares that sort of thing, and it's just those attitudes. Um, I think if we uh, look at God's word, uh, maybe we can. If we own some of those attitudes, maybe some of this will help us. And so, I'm going to start with this uh, Old Testament passage in Exodus 34. It says, "Then the Lord passed by in front of him and proclaimed, The Lord, the Lord God, compassionate and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in loving kindness and truth, who keeps loving kindness for thousands, who forgives iniquity, transgression, and sin. Yet he will by no means live, leave the guilty unpunished, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children and on the grandchildren to the third and fourth generations. And... Uh, you know, this is kind of, you know, we've, we've heard, you know, what the effects are. We're, we're pretty far into the uh, um, first five books there. And so there's a lot transpired. There's been a lot said about sin and the consequences of sin. But as you uh, read this and as we, with our knowledge, you know, that... Um, you know, the father's sins won't be held against the son and the son's sins won't be held against the father, you know, that, that we're basically responsible for our own sins. You know, you begin to think, well, what, you know, what does this mean? And I, and I think, you know, the point of this lesson today is we're talking about the consequences of sin, not necessarily your guilt or innocence with regard to those things or your salvation or... Um, so what we're talking about is basically what legacy are you leaving? And it's not necessarily, you know, there's some don't have children, you know, it's not necessarily just your children because these things, well, you'll see it talks about the land itself. Um, you know, there's consequences for those other than yourself and it's not just limited to the children. But that quote from Exodus 34 uh, with regard talking about those consequences uh, going into the fourth generation is actually found four different times. And I, I didn't want to put
put them all up there because um, I, I was going to show you that it's not just that. You know, what we see here in Deuteronomy 23 says, No one of illegitimate birth shall enter the assembly of the Lord. None of his descendants, even to the tenth generation, shall enter the assembly of the Lord. No uh, Ammonite or Moabite shall enter the assembly of the Lord. None of their descendants, even to the tenth generation, shall ever shall ever enter the assembly of the Lord because they did not meet you with food and water on the way when you came out of Egypt and because they hired against you Balaam the son of Beor from Pethor of Mesopotamia to curse you. Let me ask the class, I mean, um, do the, is God seemingly holding people responsible or holding up consequences for people of sin that they didn't even actually commit? And then, is that what that says? Yes. Yeah. I would, focus, I would focus on the consequences part of that. Right. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Those consequences. Yeah, but, you know, the consequences of sin, I guess what I'm saying is, does God take them away? Okay. So, you know, depending on how you want to phrase it or look at it, but uh, who ultimately is holding uh, those consequences? You know, where do those consequences come from? It comes from our transgression true but it also comes from transgressions of the uh, folks before it's like all of the people that suffered in the captivity were they the ones that actually caused the captivity to come about okay so you know when we have this these attitudes that you know well my choices are mine and the consequences are mine and you we have that attitude that you know i can choose what i want and nobody else suffers for it um, is that true? That's not true. All right. Um, so let's keep reading. There's Judges starting in uh, 2.10. All that generation also were gathered to their fathers, and there arose another generation after them who did not know the Lord, nor yet the work which he had done for Israel. Then the sons of Israel did evil in the sight of the Lord and served the Baals, and they forsook the Lord, the Lord, the God of their fathers, who had brought them out of the land of Egypt and followed other gods from among the gods of the peoples who were around them and bowed themselves down to them. Thus they provoked the Lord to anger. So they forsook the Lord and served Baal and Ashtaroth. The anger of the Lord burned against Israel, and he gave them into the hands of the plunderers who plundered them. He sold them into the hands of the enemies around them so that they could no longer stand before their enemies. Wherefore they went, uh, wherever they went, the hand of the Lord was against them for evil. And as the Lord had spoken and as the Lord had sworn to them, so that they were severely distressed. And you know, Gary talked a lot about this in his lesson. So, um, you know, I found this you know it's like satan's big lie it's like sin will make you happy and there are no bad consequences is that what the devil's selling and another part of that like you know we might have that attitude well if it's only going to affect me it's my choice 
I do that, nobody else suffers. Well, is that another one of Satan's big lies? Because, let me ask you this, would you maybe, okay, uh, I mean, I know my kids would do this because I've seen them do it. Uh, they know what the consequence is going to be for them, right? They know they're going to get whooped if they get caught doing this or that, whatever. Okay, do, do sometimes they do it anyway? Anybody in here got kid parents? Do they sometimes they know what the consequences are and they just go ahead and do it anyway? Uh, yeah, yeah, grown ups do it too. Yeah, it's not just the kids. That's what I'm saying. In other words, it's something that we've observed, but are they less likely? Uh, and this wasn't always true of my kids either, but are they less likely to do it if they know everybody's going to get a whooping? You know, and it's like, well, who all can I bring in here to my suffering or whatever, you know? And when you think about it like that, when you try to uh, sort out uh, the truth with regard to sin and who, who, you know, what the consequences are, does it help you to stay away from it? You know, if you think about a legacy for sin for your kids and your grandkids, a legacy of bad choices for them, are you less likely to do those things? Someone with a heart that's wanting to do right or wanting to try to do what's right, you would think would fall into that. You know, try to think ahead a little bit and like, look, I don't want to drag. I don't want to cause anybody else any kind of harm. Well, I mean, I, I think motives count. Motives count, uh, you know. It, so understanding what those consequences are or can be, I think make a difference. So if y'all would turn with me to Deuteronomy twenty nine, we'll start in verse nineteen, um, and uh, Matt, when you get there, uh, would you read that aloud um, for us? And let's just all read that together. <coughs> Twenty nine, nineteen through twenty nine. And so it may not happen when he hears the words of this curse that he blesses himself in his heart, saying, I shall have peace, even though I follow the dictates of my heart, as though the drunkard could be included with the sober. The Lord would not the Lord would not spare him, for then the anger of the Lord and his jealousy would burn against that man, and every curse that is written in this book would settle on him, and the Lord would blot out his name from under heaven. And the Lord would separate him from all the tribes of Israel for adversity according to all the curses of the covenant that are written in this book of the law. So that coming generation so that the coming generation of your children who rise up after you and the foreigner who comes from a far land would say, when they see the plagues of that land and the sickness which the Lord has laid on them, the whole land is brimstone, salt, and burning. It is not sown, nor does it bear, nor does any grass grow there, like the overthrow of Sodom and Gomorrah, Adama and Zebiah, which the Lord overthrew in his anger and his wrath. All nations would say, why has the Lord done so to this land? What does the heat of this great anger mean? Then the people would say, Because they have forsaken the covenant of the Lord God of their fathers, which he made with them when he brought them out of the land of Egypt. For they went and served other gods and worshipped them, gods that did 
they did not know and that he did he had not given to them then the anger of the Lord was aroused against the land to bring it bring on it every curse that is written in this book and the Lord uprooted them from their land in anger and in wrath and in great indignation and cast them into another land as it is this day the secret things belong to the Lord our God, but those things which are revealed belong to us and to our children forever, that we may do all the works of this law. Okay, well, in that um, very first verse that he read, um, who's got um, New American Standard? Anybody? All right, Miss Carey, would you read that first verse? It shall be when he hears the words of this curse that he will boast, saying, I have peace, though I walk in the stubbornness of my heart, in order to destroy the watered land with the dry. Okay. Um, Who do y'all think of when you think of that? When you read that verse, not, not a person, but is there an attitude, is there a... Describe to me that person. That's it. And what and what's he saying? What what is the reality that he's denying? That our actions have no consequences. Or don't no effect. Yeah, I mean it's, it seems like he's saying that he can do what he wants to do and it's not gonna matter. It's like it's a little bit like Revelation three with Laodicea. You know, you say I have riches, I have need of nothing, when really you're poor and blind and naked. <coughs> yeah, it's, the New American Standard says, I have peace, and it talks about, what, what's the next phrase? Though I walk in the stubbornness of my heart. Though I walk in the stubbornness of my heart. All right, um, when you, I mean, I, I kind of grew up with with this to some degree. I mean, um, this idea that I can do what I want to do, the stubbornness of my heart or the stubbornness of my will, this idea of maintaining my will, and yet I'm going to have peace. Does Do y'all see what that fits to a great degree? I mean, if, um, I grew up in a in a religious environment that said, you know, boys will be boys, these things are okay, uh, you know, but we're saved anyway. I can enjoy a certain amount of peace or, you know, I boast in my heart saying, I got this or everything's going to be okay and I'm going to maintain obedience to my own will. And I think Stephen said it right. This is denial of reality. It's it's a, you know, uh, the consequences of sin aren't really what they are. I mean, do you, does anybody see that in these verses? Is it just, I mean, that's what I saw when I read it. And it may, may have been my own experience there that was putting that in there but when I re- read those passages you know I, I'm like you know I'm going to maintain my will and I'm going to maintain my peace 
You know, I'm going to be able to boast in those things. Yet, ESV translates, I will be safe instead of peace. I will be safe. Well, isn't that even kind of worse? <laughs> you know, in other words, I got this. It's going to be okay. I can do. I can still do what I want to do. And, and that, and I guess that's the message. Like, safe from what? In peace from what? Y'all see? I mean... Whenever this attitude is shown in Scripture, it, it almost requires God to expose it for it to properly be shown. And right. I think you see that in the minor prophets, this idea that you know, Judah is saying, hey, we got, we got this, no problem. We'll get help from the Egyptians if we need to, but we'll be okay. And there were whole bunches of prophets going around saying peace, peace, when it wasn't peace. Right? And, and you know, we're going to escape those consequences. Wasn't that what the people wanted? They wanted to say what wasn't true, to deny what was really coming. And so, you know, you see basically that your family, your nation, land itself, all that stuff's cursed by your sin. And, um, you know, the question that you want to ask, you know, is that really the legacy that you want to, uh, take with you into eternity, not just leave behind, but, you know, do you really want to uh, step across death into judgment toting that along, toting that around? I mean, you, you know, you see what in that Deuteronomy reading uh, was said. And really... Uh, this is in there kind of tying these things together and you, and we just read that so I'm not going to take up time in the class with that. Um, and, and and this also, therefore, just as through one man sin entered into the world and death through sin and so death spread to all men because all sin. Alright. This is in Job. Job 14.1 Man who is born of woman is short-lived and full of turmoil. Well, here's the question. Why is that statement in Job true? Not and don't say, well, because everything in the Bible is true. <laughs> you know, why is that statement in Job true? Man who is born a woman is short lived and full of turmoil. What makes that true? Well, it's a it's a it's a three letter word answer. <laughs> Sin, right? So when we think about, you know, why are we short-lived and why is our life full of turmoil? Well, is it necessarily even just because of yours? Your sin? No. Right, right. Yeah, I mean, every time you turn the news on, isn't what's on the news basically this guy suffering from somebody else's sin? Or you know what I'm saying? That's pretty much... We see it everywhere. I mean, it's everywhere. Right. Someone else's sin can affect another person's life. I mean, from broken families all the way. Yeah. So how powerful is that lie that I get that choice and I choose my own consequences and that's as far as it goes? You know, that's a huge lie. Uh, Yeah, just on that same point, part of watching the news, you're seeing uh, some of the uh, outcropping of, for example, bad decisions of leaders in the world. I'm not just talking about our leaders, but I mean other parts of the world too. You know, sure. Their actions are not without consequence. Right. And often people will see and experience that consequence to their detriment. 
Right. Right. And so, you know, what all we're trying, I mean, it's a pretty simple, this is a pretty simple lesson, you know, talking about the consequences of sin, but it is, it is something, I mean, it, it's one of the devil's fundamental tools and he's been using it from the beginning and that's, and that's part of what Gary's lesson was just showing is that, you know, how easy is it to, for us to buy into that lie uh, that really those consequences don't exist? Um, Well, and and really, those uh, the problem for understanding that people have today is the same one that Adam and Eve had. You know, because we're just like them. Whether whether they could read or can't read, they knew, and we know. And you know, this idea of denial of what's real, so that I can choose what I want to choose. That's that's in all of us, and we we struggle with that. And you. You know, you kind of look at Cain and the response. You know, I'll just skip down here to the middle part. Uh, right in here says, My punishment is too great to bear. Behold, you've driven me this day from the face of the ground, and from your face I will be hidden, and I will be a vagrant and a wanderer on the earth, and whosoever finds me will kill me. Who is Cain worried about? Maybe isn't that even part of Cain's whole problem? Because who is Cain worried about with regard to his sin? You see what I'm saying? I would add to that. He's not worried about what's good for him. He's worried about what he wants. Right. And there's a difference between that. There's a difference between selfishness and self-interest. Yeah. And so, you know, I, I just want to add that to it as well. But yeah, he's 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 consumed with this thought of like, you know, this is not what I want. This is not going to be pleasurable. This is not going to be comfortable. Right. And, and you know, not a whole lot of talk about um, <laughs> uh, remorse for who else suffered for his sin. You know what I'm saying? I don't, when I look up there and I look at Cain quoted, I really don't see what we would hope to see in what somebody says is sin like that, right? We see something <laughs> completely different. Um, and there again, that attitude, uh, you know, I don't care about these consequences even for other people. I just care about me. That's, that's, you know, that gets us pretty far down a bad path. And since you brought up David, (laughs) 
Uh, let's go to 2 Samuel 12. 2 Samuel 12. Um, 9 through 14. Uh, Stephen, when you get there, uh, read that good and loud for us. 9 through 14. Why have you despised the commandment of the Lord to do evil in His sight? You've killed Uriah the Hittite with the sword. You've taken his wife to be your wife and have killed him with the sword of the people of Ammon. Now therefore, the sword shall never depart from your house because you have despised me and have taken the wife of Uriah the Hittite to be your wife. Thus says the Lord, Behold, I will raise up adversity against you from your own house and I will take your wives before your eyes and give them to your neighbor and he shall lie with your wives in the sight of this son. For you did it secretly, but I will do this thing before all Israel, before the sun. So David said to Nathan, I have sinned against the Lord. And Nathan said to David, The Lord also has put away your sin. You shall not die. However, because by this deed you have given great occasion for the enemies of the Lord to blaspheme, the child also who is born to you shall surely die. Okay. So, does David get a free pass on his sin? No. Uh, does David get forgiveness from his sin? Yes. Okay, well, so the same audience is saying yes or no. Are those questions then different? Yeah, yeah they're different. And uh, let me ask you this. Y'all are a smart bunch. When Nathan's telling the story in the first part of the chapter, um, is there a sheep in the story? And who's the sheep in reality? Bathsheba. All right. Um, Exodus 22 1 says, If a man steals an ox or a sheep and slaughters it or sells it, he shall pay five oxen for the ox and four sheep for the sheep. I don't know if it's got anything to do with anything. Not sure what it means. But David lost four sons and, and or suffered four calamities as a result of stealing that sheep. I don't know if y'all ever really thought about that, but uh, did David's sin come without consequence? And I know everybody in this room knows that answer. But uh, uh, beyond that, did everybody that suffered as a result of this sin, was it their sin that they were suffering for? Or his? Yeah, some of it was both, probably. Some of it was both, yeah. Some of, yeah, some of it was both, sure. But some of it was not. What about the baby? Right, like the child dying had nothing to do with it. Had nothing to do with it. That same thing, and you may be getting to it, that same thing happened when, uh, when Uzzah touched the ark. Mm-hmm. You know, there was a reason why the ark was falling down. It was because it was on the ox cart in the first place. David had allowed it to be pulled that way. You know, Uzzah died because of David's mistake. Mm -hmm. Right. And yet, David is treated with such grace and 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 mercy. How many people died as a result of David's sin in numbering the people? Seventy thousand was the number. Who? 
seems to me, I was just thinking about that, maybe fixing to say that, but you talk about an attitude of someone who cares about the suffering they caused, and that story, it seems like that was getting to David bad, that these people were dying because of him. Just, just ima- imagine what that would have been like for anybody that had this much of a heart. I don't know for sure. Maybe maybe this is obvious to everybody else but me, but I've always thought that the reason that David wasn't allowed to build the temple was because just he had killed too many people. But if I if I remember correctly, the reason is that you have you have too much blood on your hands basically. And blood and then when you think about this, when you think about all the people that suffered for his sin, you know, what if that's what the Lord is really talking about there? Is that you have too many people that have suffered and you, you pull in what Ezekiel says, right? Uh, that your actions can lead to someone else's blood being on your head. Basically, your fault. Right. I never thought about it in that. Again, everyone else may get that except for me, but I just hadn't really thought about it in that, in that context. Well, do you think more people suffered as a result of David's sin, more people died as a result of his sin, or died as a result of him being just super bad in battle? I think in that one instance that we're just talking about, we would know the answer to that. Um, all right, this is really, believe it or not, the scariest part to me. Um, this is the part that scares me. Uh, matter of fact, a lesson just such as this is one that's uh, probably got me here today. Um, you know understanding what these next verses really say uh, and what they mean to an individual um, person uh, should scare somebody to death who um, repeatedly turns their back on the truth, who repeatedly as a habit uh, involves themselves in sin or transgression this is, to me, the scariest part. Um, John twelve forty. He has blinded their eyes and he hardened their heart so that they would not see with their eyes and perceive with their heart and be converted, and I heal them. Okay. Uh, Hebrews three twelve. Take care, brethren, that there be not in any of you, uh, in any one of you, an evil, unbelieving heart that falls away from the living God, but encourages one another, but encourage one another day after day as long as it is still called today, so that none of you will be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. So what do these verses say? What what are these verses communicating? What's the what's a real danger? What is sin going to do to you? Harden your heart. Harden you. Okay, kind of like scar tissue, right? I can be lost and not even know it. And not have any way to know it, really, because I've been so messed up by it. And it, it, it changes even your perceptions about reality. I can just tell you that as a youth, uh, a young person, um, you know, I wanted to know what the truth was. 
prayed about it, wanted to be, you know, wanted to know. Well, by the time I found out what it was, I had decided, well, I kind of like these other things pretty good bit. And so when I found these things out, I'm like, whew, I ain't doing that. Well, you know, so I hear this lesson and I look at that and what's the reality of this for somebody? It's exactly what Stephen just said. What's the, I mean, so what's the scary part? That you, you, you don't get to choose again later because you can't, right? So you keep going back to that old thing. You keep uh, falling away from the living God. You keep doing that. You keep making that choice and going back over there, getting that heart harder and harder, more and more deceived, basically believing more and more of the devil, becoming more and more his son all the time, Blinder and blinder to the reality of the truth. Scary. So this I say and affirm together with the Lord that you walk no longer just as the Gentiles also walk in the futility of their mind. Who's he talking to? Christians. Why would he have to say this to Christians? That you walk no longer just as the Gentiles also. Why would he say that? Right. Being darkened in their understanding. What was she just saying? We need understanding. Well, isn't that what Miss Laura was just saying? We need that understanding. So darkened in their understanding. Excluded from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them. Where's that ignorance come from? It says right there, because of the hardness of their heart. And where does that hardness of the heart come from? Going back to it. doing Going back to what the Gentiles are doing. And we know what he's talking about. And they having become callous, have given themselves over to sensuality for the practice of every kind of impurity with greediness. Who's he talking to? Boy, howdy. Right? Has anybody else other than me seen this happen. They're describing what's happened to the Gentiles, right? He's describing what happened to the Gentiles saying, look at their look at what they're doing and don't do that. Yeah. Don't let that happen to you. So why would he warn them? Is there not a danger of this happening to you? This can happen to you. So has anybody ever seen this happen? I mean, ha- I mean, I mean, I've seen it, um, and and you kn- you don't know the hearts of a, of a person, but you know, there's that that person that's you know always falling away, always coming back, always falling away, always coming back. What's happening in that process? What do we know is happening? What does the Bible tell us is happening to that person? Is there is that scar tissue getting deeper? Are do those consequences of sin go away? I'm not talking about forgiveness. Can God still forgive? Absolutely. But what's happening to the person? Is he, is that person's ability to see the truth, to perceive these things, 
getting dull in this process? Yes or no? I would say the ones that when you're not coming back and you continue in it is where the callous. Well, and, and what I've seen in my own experience is basically, you know, that person returns and then you can see that the deception of sin, like that tenderness still exists. God can still do what He does in, in salvation and in forgiveness of sins. But what I've seen in my own experience is that, is that this is true. That, you know, even in that process, even in that tenderness of heart, you, you know, you still see that deception, you know, that this cloud, like, I'm not seeing this real clearly. You know, I'm trying to work through it, but, you know, maybe I'm the only one that's seen that, but uh, I've seen it. And and it's just this, you know, it's like all of this stuff is true. You You cannot continue to fall back into those things without it having an, an effect on you, without those consequences. Uh, well, I didn't mean to interrupt you. Yeah, no, go ahead. I think part of the core of it is, is the idea of conversion. If conversion doesn't happen, you know, um, I, I do think there are some people who maybe have been more converted in the past than maybe they are now. They've let themselves get dull in that way. Um, but, I mean, to, to say if any of you seen this happen, We've all seen Christians who aren't converted. Well, and 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 I, I, what I'm saying is, have you seen this actually come true in people's lives, where this hardness takes place, where this callousness takes place, where this blindness, this decept, this deceitfulness of sin grabs the whole? I mean, they're being warned. I can just go back a pay uh, one slide or two, and I can show you where. He's warning them against this, that this is what's going to happen to you, Christians. Okay? Yeah. Right. You know, it seems to me what you're saying too is that the more we go kind of back and forth and get more dull, the more consequences we're piling up, the more regrets we're piling up later on. Well, or or your ability to see that you should regret. You know, it gets dulled. Like, you know, um, that decept. If if indeed these verses that we're reading are true, you know what this is saying is that, you know the effect that it had on the Gentiles is the effect that it's going to have on you if you don't stop. Go ahead, Andrew. I saw your hand up. It does become harder to break away from whatever that sin is. And if, it, if it's repeated, it just gets harder and harder his ability is not dulled his ability is not shortened it's not anything on his end that's getting messed up it's you 
I can't help but think of King Manasseh in, in this context because he lived just about his whole life in supreme wickedness against God. I would call like, you know, he was one of the worst kings of Judah. And then they take him away to Assyria, and while he's in prison, he repents. He comes back. He tries to do the right thing. But the, the nation is already influenced in that way. His, his children are already influenced in that way. There's nothing he can do to stop that. And that's sad. That's, that's tough. Right. But, you know, the wonderful hope that we have is that as individuals, we can, we can change, we can get it right, but we do bear with the consequences as time goes on. Oh, Gary, are you any chance in Job 15 already? Job 15, 20 through 35. Job 15, 20 through 35. The wicked man rises with pain in all his, all his days, and the number of years is hidden from the oppressor. Dreadful sounds are in his ear, and prosperity, the destroyer, comes upon him. He does not believe that he will return from darkness, for a sword is waiting for him. He wanders about for bread, saying, Where is it? He knows that a day uh, of darkness is ready to hand. Trouble and anguish make him afraid. They overpower him like a king ready for battle. For he stretches out his hand against God and acts defiantly against the Almighty, running stubbornly against him with a strong embossed shield. Though he has covered his face with his fatness and made his waist heavy with fat, he dwells in desolate cities in houses which no one inhabits, which are destined to become ruins. He will not be rich, nor will his wealth continue, nor will his possessions overspread the earth. He will not depart from darkness. <clears throat> the flame will dry out his branches, and the breath of his mouth will, uh, and by the breath of his mouth he will go away. Let him not trust in futile things, deceiving himself, for futility will be his reward. It will be accomplished before his time, and his branch will not be green. He will shake off his unripe grape like a vine and cast off his blossom like an olive tree. For the company of hypocrites will be barren, and fire will consume the tents of bribery. They conceive trouble and bring forth futility. Their wound prepares deceit. Okay. Um, verse 34. You got that New American Standard on verse 34. I uh, want you all to hear the New American Standard on verse 34. You got Job fifteen thirty-four. Okay. For the company of the godless is barren, and fire consumes the tents of the corrupt. All right. You know, there's all these different things that are said in here, but, you know, that verse 34 kind of jumped out at me. I mean, that's... Uh, <laughs> Uh, not many of us uh, live off of a vineyard. Uh, you know, some of these things are talking about things that seem more physical and, and uh, less relational. But <coughs> for the for the for the congregation of hypocrites shall be desolate. What's it say in in New American Standard for the for the company of the godless is barren. Okay. Um, and when he's talking about this word company or congregation, it's basically uh, those in your, your, you know, your companions. Um, so, to some degree, this whole 
block of verses is talking about, you know, an emptiness of life in sin. You know, the emptiness of, you know, or the lack of real um, substance in life. The, the, the things that are most important in life uh, and certainly in, in death or after death aren't yours. And um, when we honestly consider, you know, those consequences of sin that we observe, um, we see that those things are true. Um, We see in Psalms, there's no soundness in my flesh because of your indignation. There's no health in my bones because of my sin. You know, that... That's kind of almost like a summary to some degree of those that passage that we just read in Job. Um, good understanding produces favor, but the way of the treacherous is hard. You know, there again, uh, going back to what Miss Laura said, you know, this idea of having an understanding, you know, understanding these things um, has a way of producing the things in life uh, that, are val- that have value. But the way of the treacherous is hard. And I think, there again, that's what that, these passages in Job say. Uh, he who conceals his transgressions will not prosper, but he who confesses and forsakes them will find compassion. Um, just some real fundamental things to think about as we think about this subject. Um, but your iniquities have made a separation between you and your God, and your sins have hidden His face from you so that He does not hear. Uh, does God not hear? He hears. just the idea of don't be asking favors from him. Right. Yeah. No help coming for Yeah. Yeah. All right. Um then they will cry out to the Lord, but He will not answer them. Instead, He will hide His face from them at that time because they have practiced evil deeds. There again, just exactly what y'all just told me. Does He actually hear them or not hear them? He hears them, but what, what's He saying? He's not going to get an answer. Otherwise, if He didn't hear sinners, there would never be any way you could go to Him and ask Him for forgiveness. Right. Yeah, so that's what that means. It means that help's not coming. But the Spirit explicitly says that in later times, some will fall away from the faith, paying attention to deceitful spirits and doctrines of demons by means of the hypocrisy of liars seared in their own conscience as with a branding iron. Uh, Fall away from what? Fall away from the faith. So who is that? That's Christians. What's going on with these Christians? Paying attention to something else. Well, what's happening to them? What What's happening to them? What's the last part of that verse say? What's happening to these people? Right. And so, what's the scary What's the scary part of that? Well, I mean, and, and you know, so let's let's say I've got a tender heart to my sin, and I, I want to come back. Can can he forgive me? Will he forgive me? Sure, he will. All right, but 
what happens is just what Andrew said. It's just less and less likely all the time that you're going to get back to that spot. You know, a lot of times I think, especially when you're young, well, I'm, I'm going to be that person uh, 10 years from now. That's on my list. I'm going to be that guy or that gal 10 years from now. That's who I'll be. But right now, I ain't got time for that. I ain't got time to be that person or, you know, really I don't want to be that person just yet, but I'm going to be that person. What happens when you do that? It's possible based on what we've been looking at. It's possible that you can't see that what that person is. When it comes time that you thought you was going to be that person. <laughs> right. Yeah, it's just scary stuff. Maybe I could correct this because I did understand it myself. And John nine thirty one, uh, God hears the sinner salvation when he's praying for God for sinner being saved. But it says in thirty one in my Bible, it said, "Now we know that God hears not sinners, but if you know this man is a worshiper of God, then he hears him." But uh, you know, like. Yeah, those that seek him will find him. Right. All right, so. We kind of set it around. One of, I think it was along with what Andrew was saying and a little bit along the idea of a seared conscience or being callous. Every time, and this is just what I've seen in myself, is when we do mess up and sin and give in to temptation, whatever that is. And we get a little taste of that. It makes it harder to. It makes that temptation something you got to continually fight against. Same plot. Yeah. You know, it, it just like it keeps it in your mind, and it's, it's harder to come overcome that. Or that temptation wouldn't go away. I guess is what I'm trying to say. And it may appear more often or more readily because you gave into it that time. Right. So, I'm going to just read these last couple. But if you will not do so, behold, you have sinned against the Lord, and be sure your sin will find you out. And Galatians 6, uh, Do not be deceived. God is not mocked. For whatever man sows, this he will also reap. For the one who sows to his own flesh will from the flesh reap corruption. But the one who sows to the Spirit will from the Spirit reap eternal life. What's the contrast, the flesh and the Spirit? What's that contrast when we're talking about this subject? Sow into my flesh or sow into the Spirit. As that applies to me, what's the contrast here, the flesh or the Spirit? I'm making this too hard. That's part. Oh man, I thought I was going to have to answer it myself. Awesome. That's exactly right. Uh, it's the contrast is my will versus His will. So you know, it is. That's what it is. That's what it is. Thanks for your patience. I want a couple minutes over. Um, If y'all will, please uh, bow with me and we'll be dismissed.